Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 10th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, tonight we have lots of stories, lots of things to cover. No guests, pretty much by design. Um, And we're going to get into Tuesday's results but as a way to get into it, instead of me maybe setting the table, I'm going to let Tim have the first word on this, and then, Catherine, you and I can uh, respond from there. Tim, take it away. Yes, sir. Uh, great college basketball coach um, that I know a lot of you have heard of and fellow by the name of Al McGuire once said that statistics are for losers. Um, statistics, of course, are pretty important in politics, though, and I'm going to read you some statistics now. These are the results of the Kentucky governor's race Tuesday night. Andy Bashir, 709,846 votes. Matt Bevin, 704,760 votes. And John Hicks, a libertarian candidate, 28,442 votes, which means that Matt Bevin, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, lost that race by 5,046 votes. So, predictably, Governor Bevin refused to concede. It's become a familiar sight in the age of Trump. If you lose, say it was rigged. Uh, question the legitimacy of all our institutions. Now, Bevin, he cited, uh, quote, significant irregularities, while, of course, providing no proof of those. Uh, He also said, we knew there had been thousands of absentee ballots that were illegally counted. Uh, Who does that sound like, folks? Uh, No other elected official, by the way, in the state of Kentucky has come forward to corroborate that statement. As a matter of fact, multiple officials, private citizens, and media outlets have called on the governor to produce proof of his claims or retract them. He has done neither. Now the next step will be on November the 14th when there is a re-canvas, not a recount, but a re-canvas, which uh, the governor requested. Historically, these re-canvassings have changed practically no votes, and I mean practically no votes that have been counted. So so this is um, probably another waste of the taxpayers' Money, but 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 just watch, folks. If they change even one vote, Bevin will scream that there's 
to prove that there is widespread voter fraud right there, which, of course, it will not be. But there's a kicker here. Under Kentucky state law, Bevin could contest the election, in which case the legislature, if they so chose, could set up a committee to decide its merit. Now, the Kentucky legislature has a GOP supermajority. Do you get the picture that I'm drawing for you yet? And, And yes, I do know that the state Senate president just the other day said that Bevin should concede if this re-canvas turns up nothing. But I, I, I'm kind of old school. A run-over skunk isn't dead until you kill it. When I see Andy Bashir take the oath of office, then I believe that's when I'll believe that uh, Bevin has accepted the will of the people. You know what we're really looking at, right? Uh, and and uh, Bill Mars, we were talking about, David talked about this the other night. This is a trial run for next year. In 2016, Donald Trump claimed that millions of illegals were voting, and he won the election. Of course, he also said that with no proof. Uh, He was going to set up a commission, which he did, which he had uh, unset up because they never found anything. But now, just imagine what Donald Trump would say or do if he lost a close election next year. What would happen if he said there was fraud, the results were illegitimate, and he refused to leave the White House? How would our institutions of government react Could they stand up to such an attack? I used to think that they could. I saw them stand up to Nixon. I saw them perform admirably during uh, the Watergate trauma. I never thought that anything or anyone would provide a a sterner test than Nixon and his bunch did. Well, I, I now stand corrected. For I truly do believe we're going to see such a test, such an attack, and next year, if this election's close. Donald Trump does everything loudly. Leaving the Oval Office will be no different. Governor Bevin needs to give it up. On the 14th of November. Maybe it's not in him to do that, though. Maybe he's taking his cue from our president. I know it seems that a lot of elected officials around the country are doing so now, and it's, it's what is it? It's an outrage, guys. Catherine, uh, just kind of tell us your thoughts on this top-line Kentucky race in particular. Um. You know, I was really pleased when I was watching the results, and I, of course, expected some kind of, you know, consternation from Bevin, but I just feel like he's a big baby. You know, he's, <laughs> you know, he's just like, I'm not going to, you know, he's he's very, I mean, he's much in the Trump uh, mode of, you know, not accepting the results. So we'll see what happens. I was I was kind of relieved to see that some of his, you know, Republican colleagues were calling him out, too, and saying, you know, if there's nothing here, then you need to concede. Um, So hopefully he'll take some of that advice and 
when the canvas shows no. I mean, if the canvas shows that there's, uh, if there's discrepancies, that's not a good thing because the canvas should just be recounting what was counted. So, I mean, that, I mean, it's like here in, in Georgia, if I always said that if those voting machines, when they recounted or, you know, recanvassed or however you call it, if there was a problem, then there's a problem, but I don't think there's going to be. I think uh, he lost. He was, he was disliked by everyone. <laughs> a friend of mine told me that his mother lives in Kentucky and she has a friend who uh, never votes, but she voted for Bashir because she hates Bevan so much. She never votes, <laughs> but she, this is the first time she'd voted in ages. So good riddance to bad garbage. Let him, he needs to get out of there. Yeah, it, it's definitely clear that he was the most unpopular Republican on that ticket. Tim, you were going to ask me something? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I was going to say now, it's my understanding that in a re-canvassing as opposed to a recount, they do not actually recount every last ballot. What they do is they pull the ballot totals and make sure that they match up to what was turned in to the proper authorities. Is that correct? Right. That, that sounds correct. You, you count the boxes and add them up, and it's kind of a first level. Because, and I will say this, uh, apparently there's some law in the books from the 1870s, which that's Reconstruction. Now, Kentucky was a border state, but laws that got put in in the 1870s are usually pretty suspect. Because there's all kind of just crazy racial politics that got put into them because it was trying to disenfranchise newly uh, freed African Americans. And so it's just not, they're very arcane and out of date. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's like some law that that the state Senate president pointed to originally. It looks like he's backed off. That's really good. Um, if you know, if they were to steal this thing, there'd be a whole chapter uh, for Stephen Levitsky's uh, next book, you know, about how democracy's you know further dying. So hopefully that chapter doesn't come to fruition because that would be. How do quite you steal a race that you lose by five thousand votes? No idea, but I will say this: if I were Andy Bashir, I would say we are going to. Be like most every other state, and we are going to put in a recount mechanism. Now, the mechanism mm-hmm. shouldn't be 5,000 votes. I don't really know. I know it has to do with the population of your state. I mean, 5,000 vote margin in California is different than a 5,000 vote margin in, you know, Wyoming. And so mm-hmm. there's probably some mathematical formula. They could find a state with a similar population find it out, you know, work on this bipartisanly, and it would have to be because your state house and your state senate are controlled by Republican, and and get together and say, we're going to have some rules in case the election is maybe not this close, maybe closer, but we're going to have rules put in place that we can all agree with now for the next time, and the next time may be, you know, uh, 2030. We don't know when the next time will be. Um, sometime way in the future, maybe even 2050. I mean, all this may be in the ground before it happens again. Who knows? But we're going to put some some rules in, and I think there's a lot of places in government that this is going to be an important process. 
we're going to have to put together some rules and some norms that we're all going to follow irregardless of who's in control because we've seen so many times in so many places that we just aren't following the rule book anymore. Um, and, and I will say, it maybe it's a Democrat, my bias, but I think a lot of times it's more the Republicans. But irregardless, we still need to put some rules that everybody's going to respect in. And this is a case where I think Andy Bashir could do that, and he'd probably build some more goodwill. Um, but let's talk about how unpopular this showed Matt Bevan was. Every other than the lieutenant governor, which runs as a ticket, every other office holder is going to be a Republican. And Democrats actually held two of those offices going in. They held the attorney general office, which Andy Bashir held. And, um, you know, Matt White uh, did tell us that, that uh, two weeks ago that that was probably going to flip. And the African-American uh, nominee would likely win that, or that, but that would be one to watch, and that did happen. Now, he kind of was talking about the state secretary of state nominee, and she was replacing Anderson, uh, Allison London Grimes, which is having to decide a lot of this, and so I'm very glad that the Democrats in that office right now. But we didn't hold that office, and we had apparently one of our more popular candidates – but still the Republicans won, and that shows you how still that state's pretty Republican, but they just couldn't stand, stomach Matt Bevin. Um, one more thing on the numbers that we – because we you know, watched all these counties we had never heard of, or I had not heard of most of them, and they would talk about how you know, Andy Bashir was outperforming in these rural counties – uh, Matt Bevin, and that was important. And then when it came to the big counties, like Jefferson, where Louisville is, like Fayette, where uh, Lexington is, he had more people come out and vote. So it's a two-pronged um, approach. He did better in small counties by a little bit, but then he also got a lot more people out in the big counties. And I think that's what every Democrat needs to learn. Don't just depend on one strategy. Do both. You know, and that's because if it comes down to 5,000, you're probably going to need to do both, or else you may end up not getting all the votes you needed. So um, I, you know, I thought that was very interesting. Tim? You know, Larry Sabato, I saw him on TV the other night, and he was talking about this particular race. And he said, You know, I always felt that for four years, Matt Bevin was trying to lose. Yes. The governorship of Kentucky, and he finally succeeded. <laughs> I think I think that's a good way to describe it. Look at the people he made angry, and some of them for no reason at all, like the school teachers. Think think that one came back to bite him the other night. Oh yeah, and, oh, and that yeah. was something I found out. The the lieutenant governor nominee uh, that ran with Bashir, she was not a politician. She was an educator. She was a school administrator. <laughs> And he tapped her uh, to say, look, teachers, we're going to um, you know, set things right back with the schools. Um, yep. Now, and this is a, a something that the big lesson to me about this needs to be for Kentucky and Republicans across the country. You know, in, in four years, especially if we have a Democratic president, it may be incredibly hard for Andy Bashir to uh, hold that seat. Hold the governor's mansion. It may be much like Doug Jones, the prospects he's facing in Alabama. Um, but is this going to be the wake-up call for Kentucky Republicans to say, we cannot nominate people like Matt Bevin. We're going to have to nominate 
fully formed rational adults that want to govern in some type of you know, calm, rational manner, not just reactionary. Catherine, do you think after this guy and Roy Moore and others, uh, that, that those characters out in Arizona that they put forth, are they starting to learn this lesson? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of it has, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, primaries because if they, I mean, not, not usually with incumbents, but with, with, uh, open seats, you know, if you run, if you run, uh, primaries and you have like these, you know, crazy right-wing conservatives that get out the vote, then they're, they end up at the, on the ballot. And I mean, that's the Roy Moore explanation. Um, so I think they have to also temper their, um, their party in their, in these states and, Make sure that they, you know, somehow control who's running for in the primaries too, which is very difficult to do, as we know here in Georgia. Tim, I have a theory, and I'm going to ask you about it. You know, a lot of times in our primary, we want to have an inspirational candidate, and for Republicans, you know, because they're not really the party of the underdog as much. Um, to be inspirational in the Republican Party is a bit different, and so. In place of being inspirational, does inspirational for Republicans then just manifest itself in being kind of wild and just like, I don't care, and I'll say anything to whoever? Is, is that why maybe we're getting these folks in the Republican primary? Possibly, and we've had them for over a generation now. You got, you hearken back to Reagan, of course. I didn't like Reagan or his policies. But I like the man personally, I think, um, I, I, or I would have had I been there up there and known him. Um, I know that Tip O'Neill liked him a lot, and <laughs> they, they, were, they were polar opposites. And, and he was an inspirational type leader. Now, how many Republican, top Republicans can you name since that time that have been that type? You you don't say that Donald Trump is that boy. You say you say a, a lot of things about Trump, but you don't say that. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a question now, both of you. And 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 I know Catherine's on social media a lot as I am, and there was a lot of this stuff as soon as the election is over. Okay, Mitch McConnell, you're next. We're gonna get you next, Mitch. Blah blah blah. Most unpopular senator, blah, blah, blah. Do y'all really think this governor's race has anything at all to do with what will happen to Mitch McConnell next year? Catherine, if you want the first stab at it, you can have it. Uh, I'll give you the first stab. Okay. Uh, no. I think if um, Matt Bevin was such a drag – that or it was just a, a turnout wave in Kentucky, and more Democrats won down ballot. Like we retained the Secretary of State's race, and maybe won the agricultural race, or what have you. I think there'd be more there. Or if we would have won more seats in the state house and state senate, and I don't know how many we won, but obviously we didn't flip it. Probably didn't even end the supermajority. There's still deep Republican roots in Kentucky, and, and so I just don't think. Um, 
that bodes well for um, uh, Amy McGrath. And then additionally, Mitch McConnell's never been liked, but people understand he has a lot of power. And then, of course, you know, a lot of Kentucky Republicans, oh, well, he got us those judges. And, you know, we may not like the process in which Neil Gorsuch got his seat. We may just not like Brett Kavanaugh, but, um, you know, a lot of Republicans like him. So uh, they'll see, oh, we got to thank Mitch for that. Catherine, what do you think? I think a lot is going to depend on what happens with the impeachment. Um, and I'm not saying one way or the other. I don't know. I, I just think that that is going to um, have an impact on um, this race. Um, but I agree. I don't think that, uh, I, I, as David said, I think if we had seen a bigger blue wave in Kentucky, we would have been, uh, we would be looking um be more hopeful about getting rid of Mitch McConnell. But uh, I do think that the impeachment uh, may have an impact on it one way or the other. But in in general, I think, you know, as long as he wants to keep running, he's going to win for some reason. It's like a a mystery to me. (laughs) Yes. And I'll tell you something I found interesting. Um, When they were talking about uh, the – Attorney General winning that race, and of course, you know that that that's kind of uh, gets to be interesting in in the politics and going forward and different things. But they said, you know, that's the first African American to win their own race, and so somebody's like, well, what do you mean? And somebody said, oh, well, Matt Bevin originally served with an African American uh, female lieutenant governor and dumped her, and it's been speculated now that that dumping could have cost him 4,000-plus votes. Um, you know, oh. maybe some folks, uh, African-Americans in particular, might have said, hey, well, well, we'll vote, and that could have been a one-for-one switch. Maybe some people didn't like that. I think she was an educator, so maybe a few more teachers might have switched their vote a little bit up. Um, and so dumping her was pretty unpopular, and the new uh, candidate he put in the place, he was not apparently a big boost to the ticket. So that's kind of interesting that Matt Bevin um, uh, dumped his his VP, if you will, Lieutenant Governor, and it didn't help him. Now, I think this lady's probably more popular than Mike Pence, um, but that that could be a, a, a telling, interesting story. Tim? You know, David, what it kind of reminded me of a little bit, and uh Years ago, we used to talk about this, but uh, Roy Barnes, when he was governor, his people kept saying, you know what, we don't need this group, we don't need that group, we don't need the other group, and finally those groups added up, and he got beat, and I think that's basically what just happened with this guy. It's the only thing that would explain, other than than the fact that, you know, he's just not a likable man, uh, but he alienated so many groups of voters, big groups of voters, that they just added up and beat him. And I'm, I'm thinking that he might have uh, lost 75,000, 80,000 voters that way. Wouldn't you think so? When you go to thinking about teachers and coal miners and 
this group and that group and people in the suburbs and and you mentioned African Americans. It just all added up to a big block of voters that just said, you know what, we're going to get this guy, and they did. Yeah, I mean everything counts. Yeah, go ahead, Catherine. Well, I think that's what made him unlike uh, 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 unpopular was all that. I mean, it's sort of like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was he mean before he started being mean to all these people, or is what the being mean to all these people is what made him unlikable? I think that's probably what it was. That you know he turned off the teachers, he turned off the uh, coal miners, he turned off, and, and pretty soon there's no one there, there's no one left. Um, and I think that it is a similar. Uh, I think the analogy to Roy Barnes is very uh, uh, appropriate. Uh, I think that, you know, politicians have to remember that uh, they have they have constituents, uh, and sometimes it's not just uh, – most of the time it's not just individuals. It's groups of people, and if you feel, if you feel like you don't need them, then they're going to feel like they don't need you. Yep. Yeah. Well, we have no time to recast the 2002 uh, governor's race, but I'll say this. Okay. Roy Barnes is a lot more popular and competent than Matt Bevin, and uh, some of the things that ticked people off were taking a Confederate flag off of a, a state flag, and he was right to do it, and he lost a lot of votes for it. Matt Bevin did nothing that would help him win the JFK Profiles and Courage Award, like Roy Barnes did for that, that when it by doing that. that. So that therefore, I, I would, you, but, yeah, but I'd, Barnes did alienate yeah. other groups. As well, well. And, and, and we can yeah. talk about the road, the, the road that probably should have been built 30 years before Roy Barnes ever got into office. And by that time, they had built a bunch of uh, uh, houses up on the north side of, you know, in North Fulton and, and, and Forsyth County. And, you know, that's kind of unpopular, but back when it was rural farmland is when you should have built the road. But that's another story. But let's get into last Tuesday again, and we'll mention Virginia pretty quickly. Uh, Catherine, your thoughts on Virginia uh, going fully Democratic? It was such a great sight to see all those all those <laughs> blue numbers. It was great. And um, I'd love to hear from – I can never remember the guy's name. Who's the guy we – yeah, we should try to get him on. He must be uh, very happy this week um, after all the work that he's done all these years to finally see this come is uh, is is such a relief and uh, so rewarding. And, and I, I mean, honestly, considering the everything that's gone on in Virginia, uh, a real um, a, a bit of a surprise. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm glad that the voters recognize that some of the flaws in the Democrats uh, are not that bad compared to the flaws in the Republicans. So good for the voters of Virginia. Yeah, and of course, you know, everybody's kind of term limited. Then, of course, everybody moves up. So Ralph Northam, unless he were to decide to, you know, run for Senate or something, um, he's probably not going to face the voters anymore anyway. Um, right. And then, of course, the other two gentlemen, uh, that, that's going to be other issues there. Um, but, Tim, you know, a lot of times, I think maybe eight years ago or so, probably around 2008, I guess that's even closer to 10 now, um, 11 years, um, 
it looked like Virginia was going to, you know, go Democratic, and then North Carolina would follow quickly after, and then Georgia would follow after that, and then who knows, it could have just kept rolling. Well, Virginia's switchover has been far different than what North Carolina and Georgia have seen. To me, North Virginia, certainly the part of Virginia where the votes are flipping, is looking more like um, Maryland and probably even more like a state even further north than other southern states. Um, do you really think there's that many lessons that North Carolina, Georgia, and even other southern states can really take from this, um, the well, way it's trended? I, I, I do. Um, you, you know, this is the first time in a generation that the Democrats find themselves in this place in Virginia. Uh, the difference is, though, back then, it, it, the last time the Democrats controlled the state apparatus, Virginia was still a solid red state in presidential races. No longer, by the way. No, we, we, we can truly say Virginia is a blue state. We have seen, I think, a prime example of urban demographic changes and what they do when they come quickly. That's what happened in Virginia. It just swelled a lot quicker than it did in Georgia and in North Carolina, and the reason is it's spillover from Washington, D.C., and we know how democratic that area is, and, and the population has burgeoned so much with Democratic-leaning voters in such a hurry um, that, you know, they just now dominate that state. We're seeing it on a smaller scale, guys, in Georgia and in North Carolina, and I think somewhat now in Texas. They're coming, but they're coming at a slower pace. Um, so I, I, I still think it's coming. Yeah, and one thing that's going to help Texas and probably North Carolina for that matter is you're going to have more cities, and cities are what's driving a lot of this demographic change, a lot of the political change. Georgia has one monster city. I mean, Savannah and Columbus and Albany can only do so – making can only do so much because they're really – in today's world, they're almost giant towns more so than, than, than cities. Savannah is a little more of a city. Um, you know, l looking at how they function, um, not like the metropolis of Atlanta. Now, one more thing to hit on before we move on to other topics, and that's Mississippi. Um, you get the sense that Jim Hood was more popular than the average Democrat, but re Mississippi's just too Republican. Catherine, your thoughts on the Mississippi races, that top line one in particular? Yeah, I mean, there was there was little to hope for there. I mean, we had a little bit, I had a little bit of hope for the attorney general. Shoot, the Democratic candidate was really great. But uh, I, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's Mississippi. It's going to be the last, it's going to be the, if we ever can flip it, it's going to be the last one. Right? Uh, I mean, Catherine, I'll tell you, I think it flips before uh, Alabama. Okay. And I mean, truly flip. I mean, now, could they find their own Roy Moore? I don't think there's two cut from that cloth and a Democrat win, sure. But but I think Alabama's more Republican than Mississippi is. 
some of that's just demographics. There's more African Americans in Mississippi, but I, I think that's maybe you know the big tipper because I just I don't have a lot of faith in Alabama, uh, particularly after hearing how uh, it sounded like seventy thousand actually cheered for uh, Donald Trump as opposed to the few that protested. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on Mississippi? Well, I, I think the race we saw the other night, it, 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 even though we lost it, it, it showed Jim Hood's popularity, how well he's thought of in that state. Uh, the, the Lieutenant Governor Reeves beat uh, Jim Hood by 5.52%. Now, compare that to 2015 when Governor Bryant was running for re-election and he beat his Democratic opponent by 34.13%. Do we see the difference? And the difference has to be Jim Hood. I'm with those who say I'm not really sure where the Democratic Party goes now in the state of Mississippi. We don't we don't have a bench right now. We do have a uh, a strong core of African-American voters. And if we could get 20% of the white vote in that state, we could win statewide election. We can't do it. We cannot get 20% of the vote down there. That, that's where we're at in Mississippi. And I don't know what's going to change it. I, I can tell you this, it ain't going to change next year. <laughs> yeah, it's the poorest state in the union uh, it's on the bottom in so many measures, yeah. and yet one of their statewide elected officials, as soon as he won, he went off against the impossible whopper. I, I had just a funny yeah. feeling <laughs> when you look at Mississippi and what would make a better place, uh, allowing the impossible whopper on the menus, pro or con, ain't the number <laughs> one issue in that state. Um, I, I saw that, and I just thought, well, my goodness. Now, there's a question for y'all. What have the Republicans done for the people of Mississippi? They are on the ass end of everything. Every list you can look at, as you just alluded to, they're right at the bottom of it. Why do they vote for these Republicans? Is it all cultural stuff? A lot. Uh, I mean, there's. A, I think. I think the um, uh, the ethos of the Republican Party of Mississippi is going to probably be uh, encapsulated in the Grove um, Fancy Fest uh, tailgate events that they have at Ole Miss football games. I mean, it is mm. just you know a, a land before time. You know, a lot of Republicans they look back fondly at the. Uh, 1950s and 60s. I think a lot of Mississippi Republicans look back finally at the 1850s and 1860s. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, probably not the 1860s, I should say, but you know, it, it, it's just a, a different thing there. And they're really keeping, you know, the rest of their state behind, and, and that's sad. Um, well, let's kind of move on to some other topics. And in Atlanta, uh, Donald Trump came to town. And, you know, when he comes to town, he gathers these incredible, you know, huge crowds. And we got it, you, you know, he, he gets them by the thousands. Well, he apparently had a gathering of 400 people. Um, he was trying to grow his base. He was, it was Black Voices for Trump. Uh, I thought that name was kind of ironic in that when Donald Trump holds a rally, everybody, irregardless of race, is pretty much window dressing. 
Uh, it's not like a lot of the bull talk. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on this trip down here to meet with 400 people? Well, a, a large portion of those people were busting from Florida, and there were 1,200 protesters outside the Georgia World Congress Center. <laughs> so three times as many protesters as um, as attendees. And just as a side note, it took me two hours to get home from work on Friday, what usually takes 20 minutes because of the president's uh you know, travel. So everybody was mad. <laughs> everybody was mad at the president because I was not the only one stuck in traffic, obviously. So, uh, but some of the pictures were just sad, you know, I mean, not, not, they didn't make me sad, but I'm sure that some of the president's, uh, advance team was sad that there weren't more people. Um, I, I just, it was a folly to begin with. Like, what? Why is he even pretending to to do this? It's so, you know, he just talks out of both sides of his mouth. You know, one day he's, you know, doing uh, passing or enforcing legislation and policies that do nothing but harm African Americans, and then he's trying to get them to vote for him. It's very. Uh, it's very mysterious. Well, Catherine, I have a question for you. You you are heavily involved in metro area politics. You know a lot of the power players down there and all. Well, four hundred people. Well, what happened? Did did the advance team or the or the state Republicans or somebody just drop the ball on this one, or what happened? I don't know. <clears throat> I haven't heard like any of the background details because, um, you know, I don't really talk to very many Republicans. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's indicative of the fact that he doesn't have support from the African-American community. <laughs> right. I mean, he couldn't even bust enough people in to fill up that space. <sighs> and I guess it was supposed to be open to the public, but they were turning people away from the Atlanta community. Yeah. That's the rumor I heard. I don't know. I wasn't there. But you you know I'm sure the it was world, a mess. It, it it had to have been an embarrassment. The World Congress Center is a cavernous type place. It is huge in there. Um, yeah, and I don't know what I don't know which room they were in cuz not all the you know they have a, a, a you know dozens of different spaces. I don't know what space they were in, but whatever space it was, 400 people are going to make it look empty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> even in the smaller areas. That's... Yeah, I can see the advanced team. They said, now what room could we fill up? And somebody probably said, the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, Tim, now what were your thoughts when you saw the hats that said woke on it? I, I mean, that really gives a whole new meaning to woke. Yeah, that, that, that kind of, uh, somebody didn't wake up. I'll tell you that, uh, that, that, that whole thing was uh, outside of getting a little free media time. I noticed the media was very careful, uh, or, or tried to be, tried to be kind, uh, to, 
avoid mentioning the the size of the crowd and any of that. Oh, they mentioned it in the AJC. Oh, yeah, they're going to mention it there. But I, I watched the coverage on WSB and, and turned over to Channel 5, and, and they, they were just a little kinder. They they talked more about the, the traffic problems than they did about the meeting itself, as a matter of fact, and, uh, you know, just gave the president a sound bite or two. But uh, if nothing else, I would have filled the room up with white people just to fill the room up. I mean, good grief. I know, that would have pretty ridiculous, too. Yeah, well, it, it looks more ridiculous when the President of the United States draws a crowd of 400 people to one of the six largest metro areas in the United States. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, uh, just a total mess. Well, um, speaking of total messes, um, the president, uh, you know, Donald Trump has on his hands. Um, one of his least favorite Republicans, who used to be one of his <laughs> most favorite Republicans, Jeff Sessions, has announced that he's going to run for U.S. Senate in Alabama. And apparently, when Donald Trump heard this, he sent messages to uh, Jeff Sessions that he would make his life very hard. But the first poll came out today, and it showed that Jeff Sessions has a quite um, substantial lead on the rest of the field. Um, Tim, what do you think's going to go on here? Well, here we go again with stats. Sessions 36, Tommy Tuberville 23, Bradley Byrne 11, Roy Moore, God help us, 11. And others and undecided, I've lumped them together about 20%. Uh, first of all, Sessions, Sessions, you know, is, is well-known, well-liked, and he was well-liked as a senator. Perhaps voters will separate his time as a senator from his time as, you know, attorney general. I know he would certainly like to separate that, or, or, or more important, just try to forget being attorney general. Uh, he's going to be forced into a runoff, looks like, because there's some well-known, well-liked people in the race with him. The second thing is, what's Trump going to do about this? He's going to be running for That's re-election himself. Is he going to go decide to go all in for Sessions, or is he really going to make Jeff Sessions' life hard? And why would he do that and risk alienating any votes that he himself might need? Um, that's, that's going to be pretty dicey. Obviously, Trump's going to win Alabama, but just as obviously he needs to win it big because of down-ballot races and such. Uh, what, what do y'all think? You think he'll? Uh, well, uh, I, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think the uh, Donald Trump has a lot of skills in his life, but I will say one thing. I think he can hold a grudge better than uh, a whole yeah. lot of the population, and I think that skill is going to come to play here. He's petty, and he will get involved in this race. And you would think that since he's so popular among Republicans, in particular Alabama Republicans. That if he chooses another candidate over Jeff Sessions, that could be Jeff Sessions' undoing. What do you think, Catherine? Mm. 
Well, I don't know. I think it's it's going to be an interesting um, uh, show of Trump's appeal in uh, Alabama. They know Jeff Sessions. He's been there. He was their senator for many years. He's well known, and as we said, you know, I think he's well liked. Are people going to side with their, you know, hometown boy, or are they going to side with the president? I think that's a, a really interest. It'll be an interesting. Uh, thing to watch as you know as democrats the without you know the ability to participate in it um i i honestly don't know i i don't know if the love for the president is gonna uh take over the love for a hometown boy and the and the um hope that they can i mean because the senator serves for six years so if the you know and are they you know, what kind of things is uh, is he going to promise them that he'll do for them as the senator? Um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting situation to watch. And you're absolutely right. You know, Trump holds a grudge better than anybody, and he w- it will be really difficult for him to resist doing anything and being negative. And, what, and, and does that I, – I, I just think it's going to be an interesting scenario to, scenario to watch. Tim, what do you think <laughs> Doug Jones wants? Does Doug Jones and his campaign say, okay, because there may be some Republicans that really you know, have lost respect for Jeff Sessions, either getting rolled over so bad by uh, Donald Trump or not supporting Donald Trump or just getting to be made a fool of uh, by Saturday Night Live um, <laughs> as well, um, does he want to run against Jeff Sessions? Or is he better off with kind of a, a more political novice like a Tommy Tuberville? By the way, how did he get to be number two in this poll? Uh, he wasn't even that good as a coach, was he? No, not really, but he was a coach of one of the two statewide schools, and, and that gets him well-known and well-liked. And Bradley Byrne in Republican circles is also well-known and, and well-liked. Uh, what... What Senator Jones wants is two things. He wants Donald Trump to roll that race. He doesn't want a good, clean, hard-fought contest on issues and and um, you know who should be your senator right right there. He he wants Donald Trump to interject himself in the race and tear down everything in sight. And and then his dream scenario would be for after the dust clears for none other than Roy Moore to emerge again as his opponent. That is the one way I see Senator Jones winning, that Donald Trump so damages whoever the nominee is that the nomination – uh, won't be worth a, a, a whole lot, even though I still don't see it happening. But that that's what Senator Jones wants. Yeah, and I just don't think he's going to get Roy Moore. Based on that poll, unless that poll's way off or something else happens, I, I think Alabama Republicans, one thing that Republicans will blame somebody for is losing, and he lost mm-hmm. royally. And so, um, you, you know, what he did in that Gadsden Mall should have been a disqualifier, but losing um, about a year and a half ago was the disqualifier. And so it looks mm-hmm. like that's, he's just not going to make the runoff. If he could somehow make the runoff against Jeff Sessions, against John Merrill, 
against uh, Bradley Byrne and somehow against Tommy Tuberville. Once again, I mean, if there's a football coach out there that really gets into public policy and really, you know, becomes a government leader, awesome, great. But if you just think, oh, well, I used to be the coach, War Eagle, and I'm just going to run for Senate, and you're going to be able to skip over their Secretary of State and a congressman who, while I don't agree with them, I do think they're fully professional Republican politicians. I mean, I I would kind of think that John Merrill and Bradley Byrne should get the nod over Tommy Tuberville, obviously Roy Moore, and then Alabama Republicans have to figure out how they feel about Jeff Sessions. So that's a different conversation. Um, Uh, But that's going to be an interesting race to watch. Catherine, do you have another comment? I just have a question for Tim. Does does David forget who the president is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep saying I I I, I want to keep <laughs> alluding to that, David, to remind you once again. Donald Trump could inject himself into that race and really break it down. No, I, I mean, mean he, if anyone could screw a sure thing up, right there. It is Donald Trump. Well, and also, <laughs> but, you know, he, he endorsed Luther Strange, that, and Luther Strange didn't win. Yeah. This and what did he end that, up um, with? Uh, <laughs> that a, a seasoned politician is going to win out over a football coach, right? He's a football coach, right? But he wasn't even a good one. Yeah. Uh, if we're talking no after longer, Nick Saban was no on the ballot, I'd give it to expectation. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he wasn't a good football coach. They didn't win a national championship with him, you know. Well, it, it wasn't. wasn't a good businessman. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I mean, this isn't Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne was a good coach at Nebraska, and that's how he got to go into politics. Um, and there are probably a few more that I've forgotten about. Um, well, let me let's put it this about- way, David. I, I, I don't if. If Senator Jones is picking out his opponent, uh, if I if I were advising him, I'd say, you, you know what, you don't want to run against Jeff Sessions. You're going to lose if right. you do. Anyone else, let's talk about it. But him, there's just no way. Who could screw that, a sure thing like that up? Well, Donald Trump could. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see, and it's going to be one of the most interesting primary races on either side of the aisle in the country, and, and we're just mm-hmm. a state away from it, um, so hopefully we'll get to cover it and talk about it more and more. Um, well, let's talk about one more topic, and it may not be a topic, but it might be a topic, and that would be the former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, has filed for that same Alabama primary, and it looks like he is definitely testing the waters and may get into this race. And Morning Consult actually polled him, and while he is no threat to Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, or Bernie Sanders, he's actually polling ahead of Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, and probably 10 other people, um, as soon as he entered the race. Um, Catherine, why jump in so late into a race that nobody's really saying needs more folks? Uh, I don't know. Is it ego? Uh, Could be. Or it could be pressure from uh, other Democrats, 
other moderates who feel like we don't have a good moderate candidate. Um, or it could be just he wants he doesn't have anything else to do with his money, so he wants to waste some of it on running for president. Yeah, Tim, um, you know, New York mayors are not doing so well right now. Bill de Blasio, he was the current mayor in the race. He made no impact. I mean, Michael Bloomberg's 4% is like probably four times what he had. And then um, Rudy Giuliani, uh, the most famous New York mayor in the last probably 100 years, oh, my goodness. Um, I think they called him the 9-11 of mayors, even though he used to be the mayor of 9-11. You know, why would Michael Bloomberg think that he's going to fare better than Bill de Blasio in particular? Well, for one thing, I think he has a niche. Uh, you know, gun control is a big thing with him. It's a big thing with Democratic voters right now. We saw that in Virginia, you know, in, in, in those legislative races. Um, that niche is going to earn him several percentage points, as you have seen. And he's also a, a fairly well-known figure, having really made the TV rounds and been the mayor of the biggest city in the country. Uh, who was it? Jimmy Walker that said, why do I want to be president? I'm mayor in New York. Um, so he, you know, he, he don't jump in with, with no support at all. And he's got just, Unbelievable sums of money to just throw all over the place, as 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 Catherine alluded to, and and, and unlike say Steyer, who just hasn't seemed to catch at all, he 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 starts with a few percent. Now I don't know where he'll go from there. I think he's going to try to position himself to be fourth. If you are fourth in this race then you can be the first person people turn to look at if one of the top three falter, right? That's an important slot to be is fourth, and he starts not that far out of there. Now, if we're going to do a buy, sell, and hold on him. Yeah. uh, I'll tell you right now what I'm going to do on Bloomberg. I'm going to – yeah, because he has that niche on gun control and because he has a lot of money because of the other things I said about it, I'm going to do a hold on him. I, I don't think he's a sell. I, I think he's a hold. Let's let's hold him and see what happens. Catherine, uh, yeah, and, I, and I'll go hold too. And while we're at it, I, you know, Tom Steyer, he got in this race and somehow I think we missed our buying, selling, hold on him. You know, we might have said one that might have, I'm being nice, when he first got in to see all that money. But the only story since then have been about him have been people still in Kamala Harris's data and trying to buy endorsements. And this is his staff. This isn't him, but it's, his staff is just, I mean, I, they don't come off very professional. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they've played this game before. Um, so, Catherine, what do you think? Buy, sell, hold on Tom Steyer. I think so on Steyer. I, I hope he continues 
you know, he's he's doing a lot of really good work uh, around uh, poverty and uh, engagement with uh, communities of color. A lot of the a lot of the work he's doing is really important. But I don't think uh, it rises it, it it brings him to the level of running for president. So I hope that he continues to do that work, and I hope that when we elect a Democrat to president, that they find a place for him somewhere in the administration. But I don't think he's uh, I just don't think he's presidential. I just wanted to say one thing about Bloomberg. He is the tenth richest person in the country, and I think cool. he's like the seventeenth richest person in the in the world. So wow. he's got a lot of money, $51 billion. Wow. Uh, he might even show it on his tax returns. Um, uh, Tim, buy some hold on Tom Steyer. Well, because, you, you know, I like Steyer, too. Uh, and all, all the stuff he was talking about, the reasons that Trump needed to be impeached, and he was doing a lot of that talk before anybody was. And, yeah. and 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 what he said has turned out to to be logical, mainstream thought, and 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 right in step now. With, well, with at least our our party and a lot of independents, um, and, and and I like him, uh, but he's just gotten no traction. And if I don't see any traction, I gotta sell him. Yeah, I'm gonna sell him too. And and I'm like I said, the staff he has put together. Is just not putting his best foot forward. You know, Catherine, as you were mentioning how, you know, why is he making this step? I got to thinking, and obviously there's there's fundraising limits on him to give to her. But imagine if he could have somehow, because he's a California citizen, boosted Kamala Harris's profile, helped her do better. She wins the presidency or the nomination, and then wins the presidency, or I guess she still could be the VP nominee, could he have set himself up, and I guess he still could, to where he's the obvious replacement uh, if she if there's a special election in California for that U.S. Senate seat? Would that not have been a better move for him? Mm, who knows? Huh? He do- probably doesn't want to be a senator. Yeah. He wants to be the president. Well, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you know we, we all, all get what we friend, want. As one of my friends says, as one of my friends says, yeah, and I want to go on a date with Idris Elba too, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hey, think, Prince had a song. I, I don't want to be the president. I want to be the Pope. I, he didn't get yeah, to be you either. Know, I, um, yeah, right. I'll tell you something, old uh, guys. Kath, Catherine <laughs> is is not far off there, and I'm going to tell you why. The this generation. This, this new Gilded Age generation of billionaires, they're like Harry Truman used to talk about generals when they got into politics. He said generals, their problem is they, want, they get into politics, they want to start at the top. You know what? I think that's what billionaires want to do, too. Yeah. Uh, to a guy like Steyer, the Senate be one of 100. No, that's not his thing. President. That's his thing. Bloomberg, president, that's his thing. Because uh, uh, he's another one I don't think would ever take take a shot at the Senate. I never thought Bill Gates would. Uh, th- those guys, if they were going to be anything in politics, it- it's what Trump went after, the presidency. They want to start at the top, right? Right. 
Yeah, and, and and Bill Gates has got his foundation, and they're probably doing a lot more good work than a, than a lot of politicians uh, do running for office. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe when you win, hopefully you do more good work, but but when you run, uh, you know, it's it's yeah. just a lot of rubber chicken and and making speeches. Um, well, guys, a uh, uh, interesting show with a lot of different things, and I'm sure we'll have more uh, news and topics to cover next week. Till then, it's been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America stand?